0: All right, so have you ever been in a place that you kind of looked at everything and you wondered, like, how does this all happen? Like, how does this all, like, get together? Like, I don't know about you, but if, like, the Magic Kingdom, if you go there, I always wondered, like, how does this happen? There's 58,000 people who visit there per day right? That's a lot of guests. That's a lot of people. And that's a a lot of things. And, And you kind of like look at things and you go, I don't understand how all of this is accomplished. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of get a behind the scenes peek at what goes on in heaven. We're going to get to kind of like pull back the curtain and look at what's going on right now in the throne room of God. And what we will be experiencing, and when you understand what's happening at the command center, it helps you understand what's happening out in the field, right? It helps you understand what's going on, and so today, we're going to be taken into heaven, and I entitled today's message, It's All Under Control, right? Because I think when we look at the end times, and we look at the book of Revelation, and we look at the world that we're in right now, we go, this seems out of control, This seems like chaos. This seems like, like, I don't know what's going on. And maybe you feel that way in your own life right now. You're like, God, this seems out of control right now. What is going on? And God's going to say, why don't I invite you behind the scenes so you can see what's happening? I was at a Burns Steakhouse. Uh, We go with another couple every year to celebrate our birthdays. So me and Kelsey have the same birthday, just two years apart. And then a really good buddy of mine, CJ, his birthday is the day after ours. And so every year we go together, uh, just the four of us, and we go up to Burns Steakhouse and we have an incredible night. And so um, we were at Burns this year in August and we were invited by our uh, waiter who, by the way, the waiters have to work there for three years before they can become a waiter. Okay, so this is like real deal. Like these guys are serious. And and we, you know, we connected with him. We were talking with him and um, he brings out uh, like some some bread and our salads and things like that. And then he he leans over and he goes like, hey, guys, we don't always do this, but you can do this. I want to invite you to take a tour of the kitchen. And I was like, really? Okay, (laughs) yeah, I do. Okay," because then I looked around the room and I realized like they're serving hundreds of people tonight. And it's not, it's steaks, and those are all individually cooked, and right, it's, it's, it's dessert, and it's, it's all of these things. And then I thought to myself, man, I wonder what hap- actually happens behind the scenes at a restaurant like this. And if you don't know this, Burns is actually like, as far, it's in Tampa, it's, it's a pretty famous place. And, and in fact, it actually has the largest private wine collection in the world. Burns Steakhouse has over 630,000 bottles of wine in their cellar. So when you go into the kitchen, you like, they're like, this is where the salad's made. This is where the desserts are made. This is where your steak is made. This is the guy who's actually cutting and butchering the steak so that it's fresh, right? He's trimming everything and you're going through. And then they said, hey, do you want to see the wine cellar? And I'm like, I I mean, how exciting can that be? And they said, well, in our wine cellar on this location, there's over a hundred thousand bottles of wine here in the cellar. And I was like, I'll see that. Like, how do you hundred thousand, like I've never seen something like that. And you're literally going through aisles and rows and ceilings of things. And what I realized is, is I got to this place and, and as we were leaving the wine cell and we saw this, you kind of realize like there's all of these different teams and it seems like a little bit of chaos, but there's one person in the kitchen who's running everything. And there's one person orchestrating and leading and seeing everything. And I go, that's the guy I want to meet right? Because every meal that we had, every dessert that was made, everything that was done was done under his watch. And I was like, that guy's impressive. That's exactly what's going to happen today. We're going to look at all of these things happening behind the scenes. And you're going to realize that God is ruling and reigning on the throne. And you go, that's the guy's voice who I've heard for so long. And John opens it up and says, and you can be in his presence. Like, I just wanted to meet that guy and shake his hand. And I wonder if today we get that same image as we go to heaven with John and we see what's happening and go, man, I'm so impressed by what you have orchestrated. It's an honor and a privilege to be in your presence. And so that's where we're going to go today. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to John, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. After this, after he talked about all of those churches that we went through, the seven churches, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. How many of us need to know that the door to heaven isn't shut? It's not locked off. It's not, you're not moved away, that the door to heaven was open. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit. So this is John. He's caught up in a vision, in a spiritual vision, and he's caught up to heaven. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Who's someone? It's God, right? And there, the one who sat there had an appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald circle around the throne. Here's what's really interesting, and this is the first point of today's message. That idea of sitting on the throne is not God sitting back and relaxing. It is not God just going like, hey, you know, here I am hanging out in my lazy boy. No, this is God, and the idea in the image from the text is that God is leaned over, actively engaged in ruling and reigning from that seat. It's not like God is just kind of like sitting back and going, my hands are off the wheel and good luck, guys. But how many of us feel like that in this room? How many of us feel like, hey, I know you're sitting on a throne, but are you engaged or are you hanging out? Are you actually seeing what's happening in my life right now? Are you actually seeing what's happening in the world right now? Do you know what's going on? And Revelation chapter 4 begins to tell us that God is sitting on a throne, but he's not just resting, he is ruling actively ruling. And for some of us in this, you need to hear this. God is not idle. He is ruling right now. So as we see the world deteriorating, as we see things in our life deteriorating, God is not absent. He is not asleep on the throne. He is ruling and reigning and actively working in your life. He's leaning in. And you know what's really interesting is there's all of this imagery in the book of Revelation. Remember, we talked about this. This is apocalyptic literature. So there's a lot of like pictures and images that happen. And we read something, and how many of us know what jasper is? No one's got a jasper engagement ring, right? Like, but that word jasper is probably translated diamond. That this, this, this stone that was there was like a diamond. And what do diamonds do when they are cut perfectly? They perfectly reflect the light. And so this diamond that is shown on the throne in the kingdom of God is perfectly reflecting who God is and what he does. And then it says that there was rubies, and and it was a blood-red ruby. And here's the deal with that. What this imagery is doing for the Jewish reader is going, oh, yeah, on the breastplate of the high priest who goes into the Holy of Holies is diamonds and rubies or jasper and rubies. And so, what's happening here is John goes in and he understands this and he goes, Oh, I understand something. You're the great high priest. You are the one who is ruling and reigning. You are the one who is controlling all things. You are the one who is looking after your people. You are the one through the Lamb of God who paid for the sins of humanity. You are the great one who we have been worshiping. You are our great high priest. And so John is going to go in, and the high priest would be responsible for the spiritual life of the people of Israel. And that's exactly what John sees. You are actively ruling and reigning, and you are our great high priest. You are concerned, you are, are with us, and you are seeing what is going on. Because the great high priest's job was to bring people to understand and know and experience and bring the sin before, of the people before God as a representative for them. He represented the humanity. He represented the Jewish believers before God. And his sole goal was to be this conduit between God and man to represent humanity on humanity's behalf. So when God is the great high priest who is in heaven, it's saying this. You are the ruler and reigner who is reigning and doing all of these things on behalf of the people who love you. That you're actively working in their life. And how many of us need to hear that? That God is one not just sitting back and hanging out. He's actively ruling and reigning in your life right now. But he is the great high priest who is doing things for your benefit, even though it may not feel like it. That there are times in our life where you and I need to understand and see, and parents understand this, right? We, we, like if your kids come to you and they say like, dad, can I have five cookies before dinner? Good dad says no, right? Like you got to eat this good meal, right? Because you got to grow. You got to do all of these things. We can have cookies sometimes, but we're not going to eat five before dinner. A kid probably feels like, are, do you, are you aware of what's going on? Do you know the chaos you've put me in? Do you know how I so desire these things and you're not giving them to me? Why are you being mean? Because sometimes loving someone looks to them a lot like being mean. Because you're loving them not for what they want but for what they need and you do it for their benefit. This is the great high priest who is in heaven. This is the great God who is ruling and reigning on a throne who is actively working in your life. And some of us in this room are asking for five cookies before dinner and you are so out of whack and you are so messed up because God said no. And that's not because God doesn't love you. He loves you more than your wants. Because he has a purpose in your life, right? He has a call on your life. He has something that he wants to do in your life. And so sometimes God allows things to happen in our life to produce the greatest good that it could. I'm just going to tell you this. The good that we have in our life, the good that we experience in this world, doesn't come by accident. How many of us know this? Right? You don't become generally successful by mistake. You don't have an incredible marriage by mistake. You, like, if you want to have a successful marriage, here's not the idea. You put it on cruise control and take your hand off the wheel. Right? Because what's going to happen is you're going to hit head on to a wall. It takes work. in the good in our life, because of what goes on in this world, is something we have to work for. And sometimes it doesn't feel great, but the goodness that it produces in our life is something incredible. And then finally, behind the throne, because the throne's going to get a little bit scarier in just a second. Right? Because we all think like God is our friend, but God is also a judge. And he is ruling and reigning, and he is judging the living and the dead. And so what we're going to see in a minute is even this, these group of angels, this cherubim, that are around the throne of God have to cover their eyes and cover their feet. They have six wings. We're going to get into this in a second. You're like freaking out. Don't worry. Because they can't even look at the holiness of God. And what happens is is for you and I is God is not just your friend, He is your Lord. And let me just tell you something. You don't need a friend in God. You need a savior and a Lord. Just like your kids don't need you to be their friend right now, they need you to be their parent right now. And anyone who has older kids, they told me this there's seasons. There's a season where you're a caretaker, there's a season of discipline, there's a season of walking along, and then there's a season of friendship. But some of us in this room, we just want to be liked by our kids. That's okay. They'll like you a lot better when you they realize they're not all jacked up because you just didn't invest in their life. Me as a me as a parent now, I'm so thankful to my parents for what they did for me and how they said no to so many things in my life because now I see that the good work it produced in my life. And so what happens here is that then to kind of like soften this, they says this. There was a rainbow behind the throne and it shone emerald And this goes back all the way to the beginning of Genesis. This goes all the way to Noah. This goes all the way to when God flooded the earth and Noah's family survived and all of these things. And God puts a rainbow in the sky to tell the people of the world, I will never flood the earth again. And what is this a reminder of as my covenant people? I am not here to dominate you. I am here to love you. And this is a reminder that judgment that was meant to go onto you was put onto the lamb. And so there's a rainbow behind the throne of heaven, which is telling us that God is faithful to us and he loves us and to remind us of the covenant relationship that he's made to us as people. And so we sit here on this throne room, and then the Bible quickly goes into this kind of image of what is happening. So let's pick it up here uh, in verse 3. We're going to start and and go a little bit more. The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, and a rainbow had shone around him like an emerald circle on the throne. Verse 4. Surrounding the throne, there were 24 other thrones. Everyone say 24. I just got to know that you're with me today, okay? So... There's these 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns. Crowns, I want you to think of, is like if you've ever seen the Greek games or old images of like a Caesar. It had like an olive branch around their head, and it was made of gold. It's not just like a king's crown. It's these branches. And so what would happen is they had all of these crowns on, and they were dressed in white. And they were doing all of these things. And you, and you look at this and you go like, what does that mean? Because there's, okay, there's a main throne. And then there's these 24 other thrones that are surrounding God's throne. And it's got all these elders. What, what's, what is going on here? Like, what does that even mean? What, like, why is this happening? Here's what I want you to see today. And it's this, everyone is there. Everyone is represented in the kingdom. Every tribe and tongue, and we'll see this in Revelation chapter 7, and nation is present in heaven. Every race, every person, everything. And it doesn't mean that all people are there. What these twelve or these 24 elders represent is the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New. Jew and Gentile, Old Testament, New Testament, and they represent for us all of humanity. And so what it says is these other elders or rulers are sitting there, and there's 24 of them sitting there. And so what John says is God is tying the picture and saying that this isn't two stories, this is one story about how I've been redeeming all people, just not a people. So if you have a problem in this room with diversity, you're not going to like heaven. And let us not be so like prideful to think that English is going to be the language of heaven. But God is painting for you and I an image of what heaven is. And let me just tell you something in this room. We as a church want to aim for what heaven is going to look like. And so we want to see in this room every tribe and every tongue and every race and every nation represented in this church. Because that is exactly what we will be experiencing in heaven. And so we, yes, please. So people ask me, well, why did you plant a Spanish church? Because every tribe and every tongue and every nation should be present. We should be supporting work, and we should be a part of work that is reaching the world. In fact, Cody and I will be leaving in the spring, and I want to get you guys excited about this. We are flying to Turkey, and then we are going to make a pit stop in Kenya, and then we'll probably be heading up to England because we are looking at brand new missions opportunities all around the world for you to be a part of it for you to be a part of what God is doing in this world. And like in Kenya, what we're looking at is supporting uh, uh, what would be essentially a campus advocate, where in Kenya, religious education is required in schools. And so there's an individual, and he, this organization we're looking at, gives religious education to over 350,000 students per year. Their goal, which I love this, is to reach 500,000 this year. Can we be a part of that? Because let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you how, something, how beautiful this is. That individual that we're going to go meet, that Cody and I, we're going to go to 12 different schools because that guy is the campus head for 12 different schools. And twice a week, he goes on every campus of those schools and teaches religious education and hangs out with those kids. And guess what? For $4,000 a year, we can 100% support him and fund him to make sure he has to do no other job but to focus on that job. How many, how many teachers, how many advocates, how many people could we support from this church? How, and then what does that $4,000 represent, not just in one person leading, but the hundreds and thousands of kids that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because we said yes, because we got generous. Because, man, that's what heaven's going to look like. Every tribe and tongue and nation and people are going to be there. So let's be a part of building heaven. You're going to be a part of it? And then not only that, we're not just going to give, we're going to go. And we're going to go to those schools. And we're going to put on VBSs. And we're going to put on camps. And we're going to put on high school things. And we're going to do all of this so that you can be a part of it. And just imagine the thousands of lives that can be changed because you said yes. Not just with your pocket, but with your time. And so what God opens up for us is this, and he makes very clear that this is all about him, but everyone's in. Everyone's a part of it. Anybody who confesses and believes and trusts that Jesus lived for them and died for them and rose again for them and believes it in their heart and confesses it with their mouth will be saved and they will be represented in heaven. Listen, for the unbeliever, the person that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, this isn't good news. But for the one who does, this is incredible news that no one is excluded. In the moment that we as a people and we as a church start excluding people, we have gotten away from the kingdom of God and the mission of God. And if we ever do that, fire me, fire all of our staff and start over. So what happens here is, so it quickly goes to, there's this incredible throne and God is actively ruling and reigning. He is doing something. He is not idle. He knows exactly what's going on. And there's this rainbow reminding us of the covenant goodness and promise that God has for his people. And then it begins to say, and lightning and thunder begins to rule and come out of the throne of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder you ever heard that kind of thunder the kind of thunder that starts off in the distance and rips across the sky and it just like overwhelms you that is what's coming from the throne room of God he is powerful these and then he says this in front of the throne there were seven lamps where they were blazing and there were seven the seven spirits of God we've talked about this multiple times the seven spirits of God represent from Isaiah the seven jobs of the Holy Spirit so who's at the throne room of God now God the Father, and now we have the Holy Spirit represented at the throne. So it's not just God bouncing around in different costumes. These are three distinct individuals who are one God, united and equal in nature, submissive in duty. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is represented here. And he says this, he says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had the face of a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. You're like, this is getting weird. Yeah, it is, but it has meaning. This isn't just like, whoa, this is, this is weird. You know, because what happens to us is this, especially in the book of Revelation. We go, man, that's weird, and we take our eyes off the throne and we look at the creature. Well, that's weird. I want to study the creature. God's more like, no, no, bow to the throne. Right? So that's what happens. Everyone's like, what are these weird creatures? And God's like, don't take your eyes off of me. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is to come. Does that not sound like a song that we sing? Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and whose lives forever, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, not the creature's. And worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Saying you are worthy O Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created. And have their being. What is happening here in this text? Let me kind of. I'm not going to give you the message point yet. Let's start talking about what's happening here. The four living creatures. They're weird looking. Really weird. They have like armpit eyes. Like they're weird. Eyes on the front and the back. What is this imagery? That God's glory is too much to take in. That, that, that being in the presence of the Lord and seeing God for who he really is, there are not enough eyes to truly behold who he is. And I want you to notice something that the text indicates for us. And the eyes are looking to the throne, not anywhere else. They're not looking at the 24 elders. They're not looking at John showing up in the spirit in the room. They are looking at the throne of God, and their eyes are transfixed upon him in their life, and all that they can say is, holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? It means set apart, set apart, set apart. What they're saying is, you are different than all of creation. You are holy and good and righteous and just, and all we can do is look at you, and when we see you, all we can do is worship you, right? And these, these creatures really represent humanity and, and what can go on in our lives. The lion, it looks at and says, nobility, right? Right? Then you have the ox, which was considered the most powerful animal, the strength of an ox. Then you have man who represents wisdom and eagles who represent swiftness. And this is what it says, all of humanity and everything that is good within it and everything that is good in this world is looking towards the throne of God and worshiping the king. Oh, man it's weird that it's got eyes all over its body this, what's going on and what God is saying is this I am so good and I am so holy and I am so righteous that there aren't enough eyes to really see who I am and their only response is holy, holy, holy and then we see that worship is a part of heaven so if you come in late to church because you don't like worship I'm not so sure that you're going to like heaven because here's the deal guys my job doesn't exist in heaven. No one needs a pastor in heaven because we have the great high priest. So I'm not going to be preaching sermons somewhere in the corner of heaven. We're going to have bedrock heaven location. It doesn't exist. And so I tell people this all the time. You want to get a taste of heaven? Be a part of worship. Because worship is the only thing that we do as humanity here right now that we will do in heaven. And I believe that worship is a moment where heaven touches earth. And so if you're missing out on that and you show up late all the time, we got a late arriving church, right? There's some Sundays i get in here and I'm like, there's like 12 people here. And then I turn around at the end of worship and I'm like, everybody's here. What happened? (laughs) Are you missing out on part of your Christianity because you're skipping out on worship? And by the way, we have an incredible worship team here. right, can we give Cody a round of applause for all that he does? Okay, that's enough. We don't want to get his head to get big. That's enough. You do an okay job, Cody. Uh, and so, no, we, re- we appreciate Cody and what he does and how he builds such an incredible team and every person who's a part of that team. But I want to tell you, like, when we get to heaven, it's going to be worship. It's going to be incredible. Because how many of us in this room, your life fades away for just a minute the moment you get into worship? Could you imagine that there was no life to get away from and we just get to be in his presence? How incredible this is going to be. I used to get scared that heaven was going to be boring. What that meant is I had a poor theology of God. Because God's never going to get boring. He's infinite. And so he will be infinitely satisfying. And we will worship him in heaven. And so what happens is is they are singing this song. And as soon as the the singing begins, man, all of a sudden, all the elders who we thought were important because they sat on thrones, get down off of their throne and they take their crown and they set it at the feet of the king and bow down and worship the king. Because some of us think like, man, I'm going to have a mansion in heaven. I don't think you're going to care about your house in heaven. I think you're going to care about him. I think you're going to care about being with him. I think that he's going to be so incredible that we are going to bow down and set these crowns down. And the New Testament tells us that there's five crowns that we can receive, right? It's the imperishable crown. It's the people who who persevere faithfully that you get this imperishable crown in heaven, that, that you, you kept going, you never stopped. There is the crown of rejoicing, and that is the crown that we see from First Thessalonians and Revelation 21, that we will rejoice because we are those who not only rejoice because there is no more tear, no more sorrow, no more shame, that there, every tear will be wiped away, as Revelation 21 tells us, but also that this crown is for those who share their faith. In this room, you know, we could be double the size of a church next week if everyone invited someone and shared their faith and that person got saved and attended. You know that the entire world could be reached in less than 10 years if one person reached one person per year. If one person reached one person per year, the entire world is Christian in under 10 years. Seems like simple faithfulness leads to extraordinary multiplication in our lives. Simple faithfulness. Who's the one person you need to share your faith with? Who's the one person you need to invite? Who's the one person that you need to be in their life? And let me just tell you this: they don't have to come to Bedrock. Okay, we're, we're not the only church in the world. There's a lot of great churches in the world. We're just about growing his kingdom. And so that's if, it, if that's across the street or in another zip code or in another country or in another state, we don't care. We're in. So you just be faithful in the sharing. We don't have to blow this place up. Believe me, it's a lot of work, okay? But, man, can we be part of God's mission in this world? So not only do you have the crown of rejoicing and the imperishable crown, you have the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness is referred to in 2 Timothy as those who eagerly await the coming of the king. It's those who have intimacy with God, those who know his voice, those who know his presence. Then there's the crown of glory, glory. This specifically talks to many clergy, but it's also those who rightfully teach and preach the word of God. And then there is the crown of life, which is eternity. And the Bible says, like, you know, heaven is not like the Girl Scouts where we get a bunch of badges and we're like, look at look at me. The Bible says we get these crowns and we take those crowns off and we put them at the feet of the king because he alone is worthy. Because how many of us realize we didn't do any of that work ourselves? That it was the king doing the work through us. Because here's what Revelation chapter 4 is really saying. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he does. It's all about his goodness and what he's done in our lives. And we in the book of Revelation can get so lost because we look at everything else and think, well, man, like what are the, what are the locusts and what do these things represent? And, da, 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 and let us not get away from what Revelation chapter 4 says, that this is all about him and he's got it under control. Let's continue on in chapter 5. We're going to hit hyper speed here. If you want to study more, I'll give you some commentaries to read. But we could be here for weeks and years probably if we really wanted to. But I want you to see what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. This is going to be really important. There are seven things that happen in three different judgments in the book of Revelation. seven seals, right? We have the seven bowl judgments and the seven lamps, so the seven stands, right? Each of these represent different judgments that are coming. If you want to be here next week, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be here. The first seal will be open next week, which we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Let me just encourage everybody this because it gets scary. You read this and you're like, can we just leave it sealed? No. Because we got to get the seals broken so we can get there. We don't get to the throne room. We don't get to heaven. None of this happens unless the seals are broken. So for some of us, we need to be like, let's start breaking seals. Let's start to get going. And so what happens is is there's these seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll?" But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then, verse 5, everyone say then. One of the elders said to me, do not weep, see. He says, you've missed somebody in the room. You've seen God on the throne. You've seen the seven lampstands, which represent the Holy Spirit. And the elder says, stop. There's somebody you missed. And it says this. Do not weep. He says this. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Here's what this means. Jesus is coming for what is his. That scroll, if you're familiar with any of this, and I know I'm working on time right now, so just stick with me. That scroll represents a contract. In ancient Roman and Jewish tradition, a contract would be written, and inside of it would be the details of the contract, and on the outside of it, it would label what the contract was. And those contracts were sealed with seven seals. So, What's happening here is God's giving John an image to go, I need you to understand something. This is a contract. And here's what this contract represents. This is the deed to earth. This is the deed to earth. And Jesus is the only one who is worthy of opening the seals and taking back what is his. And he's going to begin to come and reestablish what is his. And as we study the end times, it is Jesus coming back for what is his. And so for you and I, we need to be encouraged. We need to look at this moment and go, man, what is going on here? And it's Jesus saying this and God saying this here's the keys, go get what's yours. And only the Lamb is worthy to open the scrolls because only the Lamb died for the sin of the world. This lion of Judah. This incredible warrior. And so this scroll represents not only this contract, which is the deed to earth, but it's a heavenly book containing God's redemptive plan and God's future history. Because only Jesus can establish that. And so what happens here is we understand that Jesus is coming back and he's coming for what is his. But then the text shifts and it says something that's weird because it says, behold, the lion of Judah. And we go, yeah, this warrior is coming. And then the text says this. Do not weep, right? He says, this is the, the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. And then the Bible says he doesn't see a lion. It says this, then I saw a lamb. Looking as, it, as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. That means that the lamb was perfect. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Did anybody notice what happened here? It went from a lion of Judah to a slain lamb because the true strength of Jesus is not who he can overcome in the world, but the sin that he overcame by being the sacrificial lamb. And you notice where the lamb stands? The lamb does not stand off to the side. It says that it's, he stands in the center of the throne. And the same creatures who, who had all of these eyes to look at God now begin to worship him. And so what do we see in this moment? We see every member of the Trinity of God represented at the throne of God. What is this telling us as John, if you've read the gospel of John, John wants to show Jesus as God. And now Jesus as the slain land is being worshiped as God in the kingdom of heaven, in the throne room of heaven. Have you thought about that in your own life? Have you thought about that, that like even in this moment of your life where where life is so hard that there is a slain slain lamb who is in heaven and it's not one of weakness but of power because his scars are a reminder of his strength, not his weakness. Because here's the reality. Jesus' trauma is his triumph. Some of us need to hear that in our own life right now. That the strength of Jesus was not found in him being a lion, but being the slain land. Because that is what truly overcame the greatest evil in the world, sin and death. And he proudly wears the scars of a slain land because he's not embarrassed about what happened to him. Because it's exactly how he won you and I. And that Jesus in heaven rightfully and proudly fully wears the scars that he bore for you. And that when we get to heaven and we're in this moment, we will see his scars and we will see his hands and we will see his back. And we will know that he lived and he died for us. You want to know how much God loves you. Look at the scars on his hands. Look at the piercing in his side. And it will be a reminder for us that the greatest strength of Christ and what he did was not what he is able to overcome as a military leader but the ability and the fact that he died for his creation and he died for you and I and he rightfully gets worshiped as God because he is worthy and he alone is worthy but how many of us in this room because you know the God who can wear his scars proudly and what was a trauma became a triumph because it was redeemed need to understand and see in your own life. If you know that king, if you know that lamb, if you know that God, he can do the same thing with your scars. And that some of us in here, we hide our scars in our life, physically or metaphorically, because we're ashamed of them. But you have a great king who can use that and turn what man meant for evil into good. And some of us can start to proudly wear our scars and look at the world and say to the world, look at what the king did for me. And now... This is my testimony of what he could do for you. We should not be embarrassed by this. Some of you haven't shared your story because you think everyone's gonna judge you because of the scars that you have, but we hurt, we serve and love a king who was slain and rightfully and fully wears his scars and he can redeem all things. And so Jesus' trauma became his triumph. And then as we end this note, we, we see this. Verse seven and then we're gonna finish here. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool, because in the Holy of Holies, there was a great, large, golden bowl that would be lit, and it was meant to be the aroma and the understanding that you're in a separate place and you're set apart, but what is the incense in the throne room of God? which are the prayers of God's people. Do some of you need to realize that your prayers are in the presence of God, in this bowl. They didn't just hit the ceiling. They are in heaven, and they are a sweet aroma to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits on a throne, and that he knows and sees, and they affect him. That this incense, this bowl, which was meant to be set apart, that was meant to be all these things, is filled with the prayers of saints right now. And they are a sweet aroma to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that your prayers right now are in the presence of the King. And they did not fall on deaf ears. And then they start and they sang a song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain, because of your trauma, because of what you went through. Now you are worthy because you took ownership of all of this and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked up and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands times ten thousands. they encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that were in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Do you think about Jesus this way? Do you think about God this way? Because the same God who's being worshipped and honored and praised in the kingdom and in heaven and in the throne room is the same God who knows your name. Who created you and made you for a purpose. Who loved you so much to send his son out of that throne room. And he came from heaven to earth and he dwelt among us and he lived the life that we must live and he died the death that we should die and he rose again showing victory over sin and death and for so many of us Jesus is your magic genie he's your ticket to heaven he is like this he's this kind of peace loving hippie with a flower but man he is a king who has been slain who died for his people that all of heaven and all of earth and all of creation all they can do is say Holy holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then we get worried about our life and we get worried about all these things and we get worried about all this is happening and it's like going to the back of the restaurant and going, that guy's in control and he's got it. And it may feel like it's out of control, but he's got everything under control. All of heaven is not worried right now about what's happening. They're worshiping. And maybe that's a message for you and I. All of earth, we need to stop being so worried about what is happening and start worshiping. And then John's going to say, and we're going to see, and all the scary stuff comes. And the locusts, and the antichrist, "Ah, ah, 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 we're going to die. We are worshiping. Because all of heaven is not disturbed by what is happening. Because why? They know how much greater the king is than what's going to happen. And so, like I told you, the book of Revelation is not a book of fear, but of fear not. For he is with us. The band's going to come out. And we're going to sing the same song that we sang this morning. Because the only, only appropriate response to this message is to worship Jesus. And to worship God this morning. Because he is the lamb. And here's how you can worship him here today. You can stand up and you can sing. You can pray. You can grab somebody and pray with them. You can give. You can do whatever you want. There's total freedom in this place. But let me just tell you one of the sweetest forms of worship. Is maybe you're in this room and you need to give your life to Christ today. That you can worship. Something happening. God? Huh? <laughs> that was super serious and then cut kind of. Bray! But maybe you're in this room and that's your worship is to give him your life. And if you're in this room and you gave him your life and you're safe, you still need to give him your life. Because we're not living for us, we're living for him because he's worthy. So, God, today we honor you and praise you today. Thank you for helping us see behind the curtain of heaven today and to be entered into the throne room of heaven where we see where you have sustained and done all things for all of creation and for all of eternity. And may our hearts not be scared of our past, of our present, of the future, because all of heaven is still worshiping. No one's panicked. May we do the same. And if there's anybody in this room that today's the day they need to give their life to the lamb who was slain. I pray today that their worship would be the offering of their life, and that they would believe that you live for them and that you died for them and that you rose again to conquer sin and death. And they, just like that room was painted, which is now new and covered in white as snow, so too can their life be because of the blood of the lamb which will cover their life. God, we love you. We thank you. And now we worship you and praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship the King.